today we're going to talk about lighting for video games. Hey everyone, welcome to the 63rd episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I'm your host, Zaccavelli. You can find me on Twitter, at underscore Zaccavelli underscore, and tune in for Game Dev streams on Twitch, at twitch.tv slash Zaccavelli underscore. We also have a community Discord. There's an invite link to that in the show notes, and whenever I say show notes, I just mean the like description text that comes with the episode. I realize that for some people on the apps that they listen to podcasts, uh, it might not be called the show notes, it might be called something, but usually there's always text that comes with the episode, and yeah, it's where I put any relevant links, so just check that, and there'll be a link for the community Discord in there. Lastly, I do want to say that Apple has updated its uh, like dashboard for podcasters, and I've realized how many of you have left reviews for the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Thank you. I feel kind of bad because I didn't uh, realize how many people had left positive reviews, and it really has influenced the show uh, in terms of its discoverability. So I really, really appreciate that. And yeah, I should have said thank you earlier, but (laughs) I just discovered the new dashboard and saw how many there were. So yeah, I guess with all of that out of the way, let's move on over to the Game Dev Challenge. The Game Dev Challenge is the part of the show where we present a theme or prompts, and it's intended to be like a 15 to 30 minute exercise uh, to kind of further cement the ideas learned in the episode. Community members then post their ideas, and we vote on them to be read live on the show on the next one. So I'm going to start with the winner of the episode 62 Game Dev Challenge. Remember that episode 62 was about quest design, and for the Game Dev Challenge, I wanted you to come up with a quest or quest line in either the game style or narrative style quest design. Remember that we talked about a sort of spectrum uh, between game style and narrative style quests and the differences between the two. And yeah, this Game Dev Challenge was extremely close. We almost had a three-way tie for first. But in the end, there can only be one winner, and that winner is Jesus Crust. Jesus Crust's post is pretty long, so I may have to uh, paraphrase it a little bit, but it starts by saying, I'm thinking about a line of quests that draw inspiration from Scooby-Doo, and that you are presented with stories that suggest some supernatural problem, but it's eventually revealed that someone is just using trickery for their personal gain. I think this could work in a variety of settings, and by that I think they mean narrative settings. But let's say we're in a traditional low fantasy world where magic and supernatural things exist and people are aware that they exist, but they don't typically interact with them in their day-to-day lives. Our protagonist comes to a small village during their travels and is presented with several pleas for help due to local hauntings. Jesus then gives a few bits of dialogue, ranging from things like, I heard some strange noises while I was walking my dog, can you help me find her? And I saw a ghost enter my storeroom last night, and now my weed is gone, can you help me plant more? 
The post continues, you complete these tasks and gather your rewards, but as you're doing so, maybe there are some hints in the environment that things aren't exactly as they seem. For instance, the price of wheat in the next town over is suddenly much lower than it was before. You find the dog, but she's locked up in an abandoned building in the forest outside the village. Mix that with the fact that you haven't actually seen any of the supposed ghosts, and it becomes more and more clear that something funny is going on. Eventually, you catch the person responsible, red-handed, and learn it was all smoke and mirrors, and they're just trying to steal from other villagers or get back at their neighbor. Something like this could be a fun way to build a memorable series of side quests that is rewarding for players who realize something is up before the big reveal. I think this is a pretty interesting idea for like a connected series of side quests. This could both work in something like World of Warcraft where you have more game style quests and obviously in a narrative style uh, side quest chain. In the World of Warcraft example, I think it takes like the very simple like go get me five of these or go explore this area. It kind of builds a bigger picture using simple quests like that. And like Jesus said, the player may be able to piece together what is going on before the big reveal. It is sort of like a Scooby-Doo episode where if you're paying attention, uh, you probably can figure out the character behind it all from the start. And from the narrative style of things, I think this, you know, just obviously works as a cool way to do a mystery style side quest chain. And it would be one that, uh, I don't know, I really would like to play. I mean, who doesn't want to be in a Scooby-Doo episode? It's a pretty, like, fun mystery adventure, I think. So, yeah, congrats to Cheese's Crust for winning the episode 62 Game Dev Challenge. For episode 63... I'd like you to take a screenshot of a scene with two different lighting setups. This can be either from a game that you're working on, or maybe you can find examples from already existing games. But I want you to dissect these images and tell us what is working uh, and what is the point of the light sources. Maybe just like a little post about why you think it's a good lighting setup, or maybe a compare or contrast between two different light setups in uh, the same scene if it's a game that you're making. We're going to talk a lot today about the artistic side of lighting as well as the technical side of it and hopefully by the end of this episode you'll be able to talk intelligently about how lighting can be used uh, in video games in general. So yeah if you have a good idea for a submission for that just go on over to the community discord find the game dev challenge channel and post your submission. We'll vote on it, and the winner will be read on the next episode. With the Game Dev Challenge out of the way, let's move on over to the body of the episode. Today's episode is going to be a primer on lighting. And maybe it's not something you've thought about, but lighting is a super important factor for both the art aesthetics and performance of your game. And I hope after today's episode, you know the basics to sensibly approach both factors of lighting for your game. In this first half, let's start with the art side of lighting. I'm probably going to butcher this guy's name, but I think it is Myro Slack Tishi, who was a photographer and had a quote, Photography is painting with light. And I think this idea is a really good way of approaching the artistic side of lighting in video games. In video games, we build the environments that the players play in. 
and lighting is an extremely important part of that environment design. So we need to paint with the lighting. That way it sets the right tones, tells stories, and even maybe offers direction. It's yet another example of the golden rule of game dev, which is to focus on evoking specific emotions with your players. And I think it's key to understanding the art side of lighting. Now, another thing you need to know to understand the art side of lighting is the technical side. To be honest, you can't really have one without the other. You need to know both the technical and the artistic parts of lighting uh, for it to work. So yeah, later we're going to get into the technical parts. And I should make the disclaimer that a lot of the phrases and examples I mentioned today will be geared towards the game engine Unity, but most of this should be readily transferable to any engine or any game project. Uh, but just keep in mind there might be slight differences. So yeah, I guess the first place to focus is the artistic general workflow of lighting. This is going to vary with everyone, but let me tell you how I like to do it. I like to start with a skybox and get the general indirect lighting in place. Later we're going to talk about what technically indirect lighting is, but in an artistic sense, I think it's sort of the baseline vibe. By that I mean you have to consider the setting and mood of the scene. Is it a bright sunny day begging you to go out for an adventure? Or maybe it's a dark and stormy and foreboding morning. Maybe it's a beautiful sunset symbolizing a cinematic final boss fight. Like I said, this is a good baseline to figure out the vibe. And the skybox is really going to set that baseline uh, depending on which one that you pick. And the sort of global lighting settings that you pick. Another thing you should consider when starting is if your scene is an interior scene. The skybox is a little more useful for exterior scenes or scenes where you go both interior and exterior. And while you can use a skybox with an interior scene, either to have some ambient skylight leaking through the windows, or maybe just to get a general feel for where the interior exists. But just because it's called a skybox doesn't mean it has to be a sky. It could be a galaxy for a darker space scene, for example. But if your interior scene doesn't have a lot of windows or views to the exterior, you may want to light the scene with actual light objects only. Light objects are usually things that you can put into your scene or level and they act as light sources, and I like to add them after I have my skybox in. These can be anything from point lights, which emit light from a single point, to spotlights, which work like the name implies, like a spotlight. Even you can have emissive materials, which are like textures that emit light. This might be one of those cases where I think it works a little bit different depending on the engine you use, but you should have something resembling those basic light sources that I mentioned. Now learning to use light sources is going to be like learning to use brushes if we're going with the painting with light metaphor. You can pretty much do anything if you can master how to use the basic light sources. And learning to do this and setting it up is an organic process. By that I mean you kind of can just get a feel for doing it uh, by doing it. Like you know when it looks good by experimenting. It's one of those things where good lighting you can just tell by looking at it. And through that practice you can start to build your baseline knowledge for what will work in future setups. Like I said earlier, a lot of the learning and knowledge parts of this comes from the technical side of things, but you need that learning and knowledge to get to this organic setup part. I don't want to give the impression that positioning the art part of lighting is easy. 
I just mean that you'll know what looks good when you see it, even if it might take you hours to get to that point, but when you do get to that point, you will know. Now there are some tips to the art part that maybe aren't organic or intuitive, and there are definitely some ideas about how lights can be used for level design that aren't as organic, so let's talk about those. What I try to do with my lights when I'm really going for a nice looking scene is use the light to create depth both visual depth but also compositional depth like i want the scene to look deep and alive and i use extra light sources to make this happen a great example of this that you've probably seen in a game before is light rays coming in from a boarded up window this is an example of a great trick that many lighting artists use to make an interior feel more alive just having that glow leak into the room from a boarded up window makes it feel like there is an outside even when there's not an outside. And if you closely inspect the windows, you might even have light rays and beams coming from multiple directions. Which if you think about the science of it, that doesn't really make sense, but the players' brains don't even really think about it. All they see is the god rays leaking in from the outside, and their brain tells them there is an outside. And that's what I mean by using light sources to create compositional or contextual depth. This next part I think I've definitely talked about before, but I think it's worth re-mentioning. And that's that you can use lighting as part of your level design. Like instead of having a giant UI arrow or intrusive waypoint or something like that, just use light to guide the player in the right direction. It's a much more subtle way of guidance, and I think humans just are naturally guided by it. It's kind of like those fish in the deep ocean that attract other fish when a super bright light is in front of its mouth. Maybe that's not as subtle as I mean, but I think it illustrates my point. The warm light of a fireplace in a house. The beaming sunlight outside of a cave. Glowing computer interfaces on the other side of a laboratory. A red light in a hallway that is blocked. All of these situations use light to tell the player something about where to go or where not to go, but they do it subtly. I have just two more tips for you related to art, and these are just practical tips or maybe common pitfalls that get a lot of people, including me. But firstly, if you're white boxing your game, that is, you're in the early stages of it with a lot of placeholder art and models and textures, don't worry about getting the lighting right until you have those final or close to final textures and models and art in general set up. I have set up lighting before the final textures uh, in the past, and I've found that when you change the textures to the final look, it changes the lighting, and I pretty much had to redo it. Uh, a lot of the stuff isn't going to look like it did when it had a different color and roughness. So yeah, tip number one for me would be make sure to wait to set up your lighting uh, until you have those final textures. I mean, it's of course, it's fine to do like basic lighting so you can see what you're working on or see what you're playtesting, but wait to do that final part until after you have your final textures in. My second practical tip is to force the light that you want. Don't think about how you're setting up your lighting in terms of this is how it works in real life. Because as you'll see, we mostly simulate how light works, and that leads to things not working how they might necessarily work in real life, because of the kind of corners we have to cut to simulate the lighting. Also, a lot of real-life lighting situations are not cinematic, and it's sort of boring. There's a reason why movie sets are full of lights and custom lighting rigs, 
because real life lighting, like I said, sometimes can just be boring. It's not telling the story or showing the things that you want. So yeah, don't count on a perfect real world scenario to get your lighting right. Just force it. Like, do you want a door that's cracked open to leak red light into a hallway? But then you want the player to walk in without being blinded and see that the red light was coming from a computer or something? If you're having trouble making that work with just the red object in the room, just put a temporary red light that shines into the hallway that's not related to the computer at all. And when the player gets close, turn off the light and then let the original object in the room take over. Oftentimes you'll have to do dirty tricks like this to force the look that you want, and I use that term dirty endearingly. Another place dirty tricks are important is performance. And this is where we're going to kind of bridge to the technical side of things with the art side. And I'm going to talk about performance after we nail down some technical terms. But for now, just know that a lot of the times you might have to do these dirty tricks for performance reasons. Like, do you want a sci-fi flying car flying above the water at night? And do you want the reflection of all the car's lights and cool glow effects and all that to show up in the water and be mirrored? Well, you could use ray tracing, which is extremely computationally expensive, or you could just fake the true reflection with a simple glassy water shader and just mirror the version of the car upside down beneath the waves, like have the actual objects just upside down beneath the waves. Little tricks like that will save you in performance and allow you to force that exact look that you want. Okay. I said earlier that you kind of have to know the technical side of lighting to empower your artistic side of lighting. So I want to go over some basic terms and ideas so that you have a good foundation to build on. This is by no means an exhaustive look at how lighting works and I'm not even qualified to give you that in-depth of advice. But what I can do is set you up to know the basics so that you should be able to create the look you want while also being performant and you should have the baseline knowledge to be able to research the right terms and ideas for anything you need. So let's start with the basic idea of how lighting works. So in Unity at least, and I think this will hold true for other engines, but in Unity there is a light mapper. And what this does is break down a surface into tiny squares that I think are called texels. But you can just visualize them as evenly spaced points along a surface. The light mapper then looks for a light source and draws a ray between those points on the surface to the light source. And a ray is just a basically a straight line from point to point. When it hits that light source, it takes the information from the light source and applies it back to the area the point came from. So if you just imagine a room with four walls and light in the middle, maybe it's blue, all of these points are going to draw a ray to the light and say the light is blue so I need to make my little area have a blue shade. It might even say well my ray was short to the blue light so my shade's going to be intense. And other points might say well my ray to the blue light was really long so my blue shade is going to be less intense. You might even have spots that say well my blue ray was intercepted by a couch. Uh, therefore, my spot is in shade and should have a black shade. So yeah, remember that the ray goes directly from the point on the surface to the light source. This is known as direct lighting. But what about surfaces that are reflective? Well, that's where we need indirect lighting. This is where the ray that goes from the point to the light can have two or more bounces. Like maybe it goes from the floor to a mirror, then to the light source. Now we can light things accurately around the corner for an instance. Think about it this way. 
A direct ray to a light source around the corner would be blocked by the corner. But if there's a mirror, then light would be able to bounce around the corner and go down the other hallway, for instance. And remember, not everything is perfectly reflective like a mirror, but pretty much everything reflects light to some capacity. Like in real life, if you have a bright yellow wall next to a white one, some of that yellow hue is going to bleed onto everything else because it's reflecting some of the light. So for realistic looking light that isn't totally flat, indirect lighting is a must because everything in our world reflects some amount of light. In other words, in real life, light bounces. The good thing is that for pretty much most game engines these days, you don't really have to set this up. A lot of engines have lighting engines that already figure all of this out. But what you do have to do as a game dev is tweak the lighting engine so that it works for you. And that's where I want to start talking about baked versus real-time lighting. Okay, so now we know how the lighting engine is working. All the surfaces are shooting rays to the light sources and telling it how to apply the light or shadow to the surface. But you might be asking yourself, it seems like a lot to be constantly shooting rays all over the place to figure out how things should be lit and what the light source is or the surface or what if the character body moves that changes the rays as the places that were in shadow are now no longer in shadow and new places are now in shadow. Doesn't that mean we have to recalculate everything? And you would be right. It is computationally expensive to do indirect lighting just by the sheer number of rays. Like it might take dozens of minutes to dozens of hours for complex scenes. And obviously video game frames happen in milliseconds, so how does this work? Well, I want to introduce to you baked lighting. You see, for things that aren't going to move, we call these objects static. And static just means it's never going to move, basically. You can use those two terms interchangeably, I guess. Anyways, because they never move, we may have to only calculate that thing's lighting once. Then we can just take the lighting that we calculated and take those hues and bake it as part of the object's texture. And the best part is we can do this calculation while the game isn't running. So it doesn't really cause any performance problems at all. Now it may take a minute to bake the actual light textures, and I've even had it take hours before in Unity, but once it's part of that texture, um, you never have to worry about it again, unless you're changing things in your scene or moving it around, which you probably will. My best advice is to bake your lighting on the nicest computer you have, and really know what the settings are doing to tweak them so that they work for you. Otherwise, you're going to be waiting a long time every time you want to move something around in your level, and it can be really annoying. Settings you can control are things like the number of bounces for indirect lighting, or the resolution of texels, those little points on the surfaces, uh, the resolution of them, how dense they are on the surface. With less bounces and less points, obviously the calculation happens faster. It might not look as nice, but honestly, anything past two bounces and a decent texel resolution is only noticeable in games where you're trying to achieve a highly realistic look. And if it's a highly realistic look that you're after, you should probably use something like Unreal Engine, but I'll talk about that later. Anyways, that's a quick look at baked lighting. Remember that it's basically for things that aren't moving. As we know, many things do move in games, so how should we light those? Well, we need a real-time lighting solution. 
Real-time lighting works basically as you'd expect. It lights stuff and reacts to changes in real time. In other words, as the game is playing. Now it does cut some corners and does some technical wizardry that admittedly I don't even fully understand. But the point is that it does require some computational effort to do this, and there's a trade-off with performance when using real-time lighting. So just keep in mind that with real-time lights, you're eating into that performance budget, so be mindful of how you're using it. It's good to use for things that you are directly lighting, for instance, because like we learned, it's less bounces, and so direct lighting isn't that computationally expensive. I think the best strategy is to do what is known as mixed lighting. This is where you bake some lighting for your scene and you use your real-time lighting for other appropriate things like special effects. There's a few ways to mix these. For instance, in a baked indirect setup, all of your indirect where your light rays are bouncing more than once, all of that is baked. And your real-time lighting is handling all the direct rays. This is good for a game with a day-night cycle, seeing as how the sun and moon are going to be the main shadow casters, and in a day-night cycle, they move and change where the shadows are. You're going to have to do real-time lighting for that, but it kind of works out because that is a direct lighting situation. Everything just draws a ray to the sun or moon and figures out if it's blocked in shadow or not. Now, obviously, in real life, the sun's indirect lighting that bounces off of everything and scattered by the atmosphere and all that, that's very important to how things look. But we can bake our indirect lighting to a close approximation and save a ton of computing power. Maybe bake in a warm yellow for the middle of the day, a warm red for dawn and dusk, and a cool blue for the nighttime. With those sets of textures, with the ambient light, the indirect light baked in, you're saving a ton of computing power while closely approximating the general look given for the time of day. You could also do subtractive mixed lighting, which is kind of more a situation I was talking about earlier where static objects are baked and dynamic objects are real-time. This would work good for a flashlight situation, for example. But yeah, when it comes to mixed lighting, just remember to consider the situation of the scene and figure out where you can get the most bang for your buck using both baked and real-time lighting. And one thing that might help with this, and the last technical thing I want to talk about, is probes. Without getting too technical, probes are a way of getting the baked light map to react with dynamic elements in the scene. In other words, you can use that static baked light map, that thing that doesn't move, and sort of generally apply it to things that are moving. Maybe if I give you an example, it'll give you a better sense of what I mean. Let's say you have a sci-fi hallway scene, and you set it up so that there are blue hallway lights to give it that cool blue hallway sci-fi feel. Now you know the hallway and the lights are going to be static because it's just a hallway, it's not going to move, so you bake those lights and light maps. But when your player walks through the hallway, they're not really being illuminated by the blue light because remember that that blue light is baked onto the textures of the walls. It's calculated only once before the game is even running. And you can't really bake it on the character uh, because they're moving and that changes the shadows. You'd probably want to use a real-time blue light in order to get those shadows. And that will illuminate the side of the character directly facing the light. But because it's real-time and maybe you didn't want to do indirect lighting with real-time because it's too much performance, you're only getting that direct light on the character. In other words, only the parts of the character that are facing the light get lit by blue. 
but that doesn't really give you that sci-fi blue hue of the whole room look that you want. So how do you get that blue hue on the parts of the character that aren't directly facing the light? That light that's going to bounce off the floor and reflect and scatter back up onto the character. This is where we use probes. Probes are sort of like, you could think of them as baked reflections. It's basically like putting a placeholder sphere in the hallway and saying, this is sort of what any object in this hallway would look like with indirect lighting. And then you're just saying, when anything goes through this hallway, light it like you did with this sphere. It's a close enough approximation that doesn't require any real-time lighting calculations, and it can be done with not only lighting and hues and stuff like that, but with reflections. And it's how a lot of games achieved sort of reflections before ray tracing. Like if you look at a game from the mid-2000s and look at a reflective surface, you will see it's a baked reflection that kind of just approximates what is around. And most of the time it's good enough, but it is a static approximation. Compare that to something like ray-traced reflections in Cyberpunk 2077, where the reflections move in real time and basically behave as real light would. And you can really tell the difference. But probes can get you pretty close, and most of the time, unless you have a direct comparison to something that is ray-traced, you can't tell the difference. And I was debating on if I was going to go into ray tracing or not, because to be quite honest, for most indie devs, it's not really something you are likely to use. And if you are, you probably have a deeper knowledge of lighting than this episode really gets into. So I guess I'll just say that ray tracing is a computationally intense but very powerful method where you actually cast rays from the camera. And these rays go from the camera into the world and simulate the light in that way. It allows for a more realistic simulation, and maybe in the future it'll be just as standard practice for game engines as mixed lighting is today. Like right now we have mixed, baked, and real-time lighting in most engines, and you don't really even think about it, but there was a time when this was like groundbreaking technology, and maybe ray tracing will be that in the future. But for right now, it's not something that I see a lot of indie devs using. Speaking of engines, there's one thing that I kind of left out during all this. And that is if you are an Unreal dev and using Unreal 5, pretty much a lot of the limitations I mentioned are no longer limitations, especially in regards to real-time lighting. Unreal 5 has pushed the envelope in a lot of places, but one of the biggest is in its Lumen lighting system. The Lumen lighting system has global, indirect lighting with unlimited bounces that works in real time. In other words, it's performant real-time indirect lighting. It's super crazy and honestly a glimpse into the future. And I'm sorry for holding that information from you, but I wanted to teach you about the basic state of things now so that you can really appreciate how powerful the Lumen lighting system is in Unreal 5. If a realistic look and lighting is your goal, Unreal 5 should be at the top of your list for tools to use. Well, this turned out to be a pretty big episode, so let's do our best to summarize it. Today's episode was a sort of primer for lighting in video games. In the first part, we talked about the artistic side of lighting. Remember, your artistic goals with lighting is to paint with the light. 
you want to set the mood, you want to tell stories, or even offer guidance. Remember that my general workflow is to start with the skybox and get the overall tone right, then move on to actually the individual light sources to start painting. The process of setting up good looking lighting is organic and something that you get better at just by practicing and seeing what looks good. Remember to set up your lights so that they create both visual and contextual depth. Light leaking in from a boarded up window is a good example. Remember that you might have to do small cheats or dirty tricks to get the perfect lighting you want, but it's okay to force that look even when it might not make real world sense sometimes. Also remember that you wanna wait to set up your final lighting till your final textures are in your game because changing the textures and the roughness and stuff like that changes how the lighting looks on those surfaces. In the second half of the episode, we got into the technical details. We talked about the differences between direct and indirect lighting. Remember that direct lighting is a point on a surface that draws a line to the light source. And it draws this straight line and reads the information about the light source like color and brightness to determine how to light the surface. Indirect lighting considers rays that bounce more than once. Remember that basically everything that exists bounces some amount of light. So for a realistic looking look, you have to use indirect lighting. We also talked about real-time versus baked lighting. Real-time lighting does the ray bouncing and calculations while the game is playing, and baked lighting does it prior and bakes the results into a texture. It's usually best to use a mix of both since real-time lighting can affect performance and baked lighting only works for objects that don't move. Remember that we talked about probes and how they can be used to approximate baked lighting and reflections onto dynamic or moving objects. And lastly, I mentioned that Unreal Engine 5 has made huge leaps in lighting, and if you're going for realistic lighting and looks, it's probably the best engine out there. So yeah, that's going to do it for me today. Remember, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Zaccavelli underscore and tune in for game dev streams at twitch.tv slash Zaccavelli underscore. We also have a open community discord where we do the game dev challenge. And I would love to see your guys' lighting setups in your games. It's one of those things that uh, I really like the art focused game dev challenges in the first place. And this one's going to be super interesting because painting with light I think is a really unique skill. So yeah, go check that out. There will be a link to that in the show notes or the show description or the text that comes with the episode, wherever you find that on your podcast app. Lastly, I just want to thank everyone who has left a review for the podcast, whether that's on Apple Podcasts or somewhere else. Sometimes when I have writer's block or I'm just really struggling to get an episode out, I'll just go scroll through the reviews and yeah, it just gives me extra motivation and I know it helps with the algorithms for finding the podcast. So thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to go do that and help me out. With that, I'm going to sign off. I have been Zaccavelli and I bought a $1,500 computer just to play Minecraft with ray tracing on. Ah.